the markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. Dateline, Friday, January 31, Scottsdale, Arizona. And I think instead of taking half an hour to talk about markets this week, I can do it in about one second. C-O-R-O-N-A-V-I-R-U-S. Coronavirus. That played a role in all of our market trends and prices this week, and it happened every day. And it wasn't very good news when it affected Wall Street and it affected the agricultural commodities. So let's begin with a look at what happened today, closing day of the week and uh, closing day of the month. The major averages dropped more than 1.5% today, sealing its worst week in six months because of the spreading coronavirus outbreak, coupled with sluggish U.S. economic data and a mixed batch of corporate earnings that all fueled concerns about global growth. But coronavirus far and away the biggest impact on the market. After suffering its biggest one-day percentage decline since October 2nd, the S&P 500 down more than 3% from its closing high hit earlier in January. Businesses struggling with supply problems from the coronavirus epidemic that, well, as of this broadcast, had killed 213 people in China and been declared a global emergency. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, said it had issued a quarantine order for all Americans repatriated from China to an airbase in California. However, stocks cut losses late in the session, as the agency director, Robert Redfield, said the risk to the U.S. public is low. But Delta Airlines lost two and a third percent. American Airlines down 3.17 percent. And the company said they would suspend all flights to mainland China. Economists are concerned the coronavirus could have a bigger impact than SARS, which killed about 800 people between 2002 and 3 at an estimated cost of $33 billion to the global economy. U.S. data showing consumer spending rose steadily in December, while wage gains indicated moderate growth in construction and consumption amid contracting businesses, investments, and inventories added to the growth concerns. And uh, in addition to that, a report on manufacturing in the Midwest hit a four-year low for January. One analyst in Connecticut said, we spent most of this week still with this kind of euphoric optimism about the U.S. market, and today that finally began to fade. People are finally starting to get concerned. Amazon, however, was a bright spot. It climbed 7 and a third percent on better-than-expected results for the holiday quarter that pushed it back into the $1 trillion market capitalization club. 
Gains in Amazon helped the consumer discretionary index rise more than three quarters of a percent, and that was the only sector on the plus side. Worst performing sector? Energy, tumbling a little over 3%. Oil majors ExxonMobil and Chevron were the primary drags on the sector as each dropped more than 4% after coming through with uh, disappointing results. So uh, for the day, here are the numbers. The Dow Industrial Average down 603 points. The S&P 500 down one and three quarters percent to 32.25, and the Nasdaq Composite dropped 148 points to 91.51 to end the trading week and the month. For the week, the Dow dropped two and a half percent. The S&P lost 2.1 percent. The Nasdaq down 1.8 percent. Both the Dow and the S&P 500 had their worst weekly performances since early August. And for the month, the Dow lost 1%, the S&P down two-tenths of a percent, and the NASDAQ actually higher for the month, up 2%. couple of earnings reports today. Visa fell 4.5% after its quarterly revenue missed estimates. International Business Machines, IBM, gained a little more than 5% after it named a new chief executive officer. And taking a look at the oil market, that uh, slid. Why? Coronavirus. The oil prices down and were on track for a fourth straight weekly loss on mounting worries about economic damage from the coronavirus that has spread from China to around 20 countries. And as we said earlier, killing more than 200 people. So the Brent crude today fell 13 cents to settle at $58.16 a barrel. U.S. crude fell 58 cents to end the session today at $51.56 a barrel. And that was down a little more than one, or a little more than 4.8% for the week. So now that we've looked at uh, everything that has happened this week, let's take a look at next week. Starting with Monday, Google parent Alphabet expected to report a jump in fourth quarter revenue, benefiting from its leadership in online ad sales, as well as strong contributions from YouTube and cloud businesses. Data from the Census Bureau will likely show construction spending went up five-tenths of a percent in December. A report from the Institute for Supply Management will likely show manufacturing PMI rose to 48.5 in January. That would be up from 47.2 in December. Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta President Raphael Bostic will speak before an important economic session dealing with machine, big data, and digital money. And there will be a couple of economic reports from our neighbors to the north in Canada and also from Brazil. So, 
on the economic tap, the Labor Department employment report on Friday likely show non-farm payrolls increased by 161,000 jobs in January after rising by 145,000 jobs in December. The unemployment rate expected to remain unchanged at 3.5% in January. The ADP National Employment Report Wednesday expected to show private payrolls increased by 159,000 jobs in January after jumping 202,000 jobs in December. And on the same day, the Commerce Department scheduled to report goods trade deficit widened to $48 billion in December. Earnings from technology to media and entertainment companies on tap for next week. Walt Disney Company expected to post higher fourth quarter revenue on Tuesday, boosted by the launch of its streaming platform Disney Plus and a new Star Wars themed park. Investors will watch for any commentary on its content uh, spend for the streaming platform. Qualcomm scheduled to report its first quarter earnings on Wednesday. And on Thursday, T-Mobile expected to post an increase in fourth quarter revenue. General Motors will report fourth quarter earnings and host an investor conference in New York on Wednesday. Merkin Company is expected to report a higher fourth quarter profit on Wednesday, mainly due to strong demand for its blockbuster immunotherapy, Keytruda, which is on track to become the world's best-selling drug by 2023. Focus will be on comments about the growth opportunity in burgeoning markets like China, as well as uh, its business here domestically and its development plans. Separately, uh, AbbVie Incorporated will report its results for the fourth quarter on Friday. Yum Brands overall fourth quarter comparable sales are expected to go up when the company reports results on Thursday, supported by growth at KFC and Taco Bell. However, Pizza Hut's comparable sales are likely to turn negative after showing signs of growth in the past four quarters. Tyson Foods also expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Thursday, boosted by a surge in pork demand from China, where African swine fever continues to cut the pig population in that country. There's a lot going on and a lot of earnings reports, but again, the focus next week will be on coronavirus and What kind of an impact and how long will it last? That's on the minds of investors in equity markets as well as agricultural commodities. Speaking of agriculture, Max Armstrong will be sitting down to visit with our market analyst today when we continue 
here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. We've been able to tap the brain of Jerry Goodell talking about what's going on in the, the agriculture markets. Midland Research is his firm, and yes. he, you do a lot of analytical work. Welcome back here. Yeah, exactly. I don't, that work and also do some uh, private consulting for farmers and uh, people in the business. Well, we have to talk about China pretty quickly here in the visit uh, this week uh, about what's been going on there and what isn't going on. How do you analyze, first of all, the market reaction to the news about the coronavirus? Well, there's some logic to have a little caution, but I think the market has really kind of overdone it here uh, from the point of view that, yes, it has had uh, seven or 8,000 people in China. It's had some deaths over there. There's very minor impact in the U.S. so far uh, from that point. Uh, this is a flu season around the world, uh, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. So I'm, I guess I'm a little uh, surprised that it's had this much significance, but it has to do as much with the uh, investing community uh, from the stock market and across the board. That's Unknowns are not happy for the stock market or the investing community. Well, the State Department has acted also, I think, to bring some people out of China, and you've got airlines canceling flights. So it, it's being compounded, I guess, in a number of ways. Is this one of those things? And I, I guess I've been thinking in my mind, you know, these things come up every now and then. There's there's this bubble of some sort that uh, that comes in here. I, I guess bubble is not a right term. Ripple that comes yes. in and affects the market, and it's a short-term thing. And when there's been a sell-off, then the market springs back. Is that bound to happen this time? Well, I think it will. I think it will. I think the other thing is added to this uh, agricultural impact is the fact that implementing the recent uh, U.S.-China trade agreement was going to take 30 days uh, from the January 15th to before the February 15th. And then you put in the uh, Chinese New Year that also took people away from the markets, uh, from the buy side of their point of view. And so the, uh, and people definitely are cautious about the whole idea, uh, of China was going to be able to get some of these lofty objectives that, uh, and that wasn't something that wasn't discussed in this market for quite some time, but you put, put it all together and we've got kind of a setback mentality, which I definitely feel like that there will be some Chinese impacts. And the one thing you got to think about here too is the fact that yes, uh, we might not see the forty billion that's been touted around here in the, in this year. The biggest thing is is that uh, last year we only had nine or ten. If we go to twenty or twenty five, and that uh, that's a big big increase. In, in, uh, the best, in the best year, it was what twenty nine, wasn't it? Yes, and that was like uh, I think thirteen or fourteen. And then the, the one they're using is seventeen as a, a reference point. Uh, from there. So that's the thing is wild about it. Uh, yes, it's important and that kind of stuff. I think it is the emotions though that sometimes hits the U.S. Uh, investment community and the agricultural world in the short term. Uh, hopefully, uh, we're going to finally get uh, this thing going on. We're down here towards the low end of their price ranges we've been at for the last, uh, well, since, uh, <clears throat> 
back last fall in November before we had a rally then and the, and that type of thing. Hopefully we're going to be finding some support in corn and soybeans. Uh, wheat's a little bit higher because we had quite an impressive performance in that market uh, since last fall. But uh, that's really been a come uh, from the standpoint that the fundamentals were justifying uh, the tightness in the worldwide situation. And that's why I think that we'll see that, particularly in the corn. I, the soybeans, we still got a lot of competition from South America. Well, we do. Uh, that uh, harvest is getting underway down there, and uh, they just continue to talk about big crops. And I was with that panel of Brazilians last week at the Farm Futures Business Summit, and a lot of smiles there. Oh. Big, big crops and good prices for them. Uh, it's it's a green light for them. Full speed ahead. Exactly. That's been the, the interesting thing. It's uh, they've had pretty good. Fortunately, had uh, weather that's. Despite a very late start, now that's the one thing that's uh, part of this whole scenario for them. The the weather has cooperated. It hasn't been extremely hot in the northern areas. We are starting to get the harvest, which is still behind. Uh, normally, I think Ag Rural was talking about it being four and a half to five percent earlier this week, and that's comparison to say thirteen percent. Uh, or fourteen percent this time of year. Uh, from there, but uh, you know the uh, supplies have been very good and lots of good reports at this point. We'll see some of the areas of the north and northeast are not probably going to have as good a yield because they had some dryness. But in the short term, plenty of good news out of Matagrosso. Uh, as we take a look at wheat, you mentioned that. Is that rally over? I mean, is that kind of fizzled out here? Is, is that all there is, as Peggy Lee used to say? <laughs> well, I'm not sure that it I'll explain is. All... It. You boys and girls, I'll explain that sometime. Yeah, exactly. Both of us understand that. <laughs> uh, at this point, the wheat market, I think, still has a little bit of a pop in it. I guess the big question is, will it? We've really pushed it up there just near $6 on that spot nearby March at the time. I think it was three ninety or five ninety two, and that. And the I think there's still some uh, some action in that world out there. The biggest thing that um, the one thing is going to be quite interesting is we had very good yields in the U.S. and now there's concerns about France and and their production because of uh, really straight uh, limited plantings over there. Uh, and the interesting thing has popped up in the last six weeks or so. The, the Russians are talking about having a particular quota system for exports. I don't know what that is going to do for us in 2020-21, but uh, it's always interesting when people think that they need to uh, control exports. That uh, I guess they like the prices now and think they can make a difference. I don't know that will be the case. But it's not a matter of uh, being concerned of a shortage, is it? No, not in Russia, at least at this point. I, I guess the one thing we've got to remember is, is that Australia has definitely been out of the market, and it's been there for a couple, three years now. There is some indications floating around here that maybe things are changing in their part of the world. We just had a very good rain. You Northern. mean that weather is getting better? Exactly. Uh, there was their, the, their production has been devastated oh, by the drought. Yeah, it's been going down since like two, three years. You know, it's been a, quite a while here. And it's down under, the current expectations are under 15 million metric tons uh, at this point after being like 23 or 4 a couple of years ago uh, back then. The, 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 the uh, heavy rains occurred in, uh, in Queensland here uh, last weekend and it's actually flooding. That, that saved a crop for some. Yes, it is. It, it's more than anything else. It's more towards sorghum and some of the other ones. Wheat is pretty well behind them down there. It's not going to change a right. lot there. But it, it, that's another feature in this thing. And the uh, the one thing that's been interesting in the wheat is, is there's been 
rumbles, and it seems like they're very confirmed is that the Chinese uh, snuck in and bought some uh, uh, Australian wheat back in December, and I've got some more purchase in that. And that was one of the optimisms about the Pacific Northwest in the U.S. that they would be buying it because we still have this whole – WTO uh, type of uh, levels that have been out here, and that was some of the ideas that we're going to fill some of this $40 billion from both wheat and corn. And I think still there's going to be some DDGs, uh, some sorghum. It's going to be a menagerie of things that the Chinese, that the Chinese will buy, buy to make up whatever the quantity is. Exactly. It's not going to be all beans and all corn and all things. It's going to – but buying DDGs, expanding ethanol, uh, that kind of stuff – uh, is going to be helpful to the ag economy in the U.S., we hope. The Ag Outlook Forum is coming up in a few days. Uh, USDA, you, uh, you analysts and uh, consultants, I mean, it's always interesting to go to the Ag Outlook mm-hmm. Conference and you look around the room and it, uh, there are no farmers there. Nobody, nobody who farms goes to this, but it's, it's consultants and lobbyists and former USDA officials mm-hmm. and, and analysts there. And sometimes news is made, at least early in the day mm-hmm. when, when reports are released. Well, that happened this year. Well, it's going to be right interesting. The big thing that's got everybody scratching their head is, is that during the January update, we did not have any adjustments for what perceives to be the potential buying of the Chinese for maybe that this year and even next year in some of the outlooks. And the baseline numbers were put back together late October. So that so, was prior to an agreement. Exactly. So those, they weren't included. That. Will there be some, uh, Adjustments to some of the numbers that they publish in the baseline. Will they uh, actually think about in in the case of soybeans? Uh, we are ahead of our schedule of shipping on beans, and we're not doing ter- terribly bad on our, our sales. If we do have some more Chinese businesses, that going to ratchet up our beans and then carry over for this year being smaller. Because the one thing that right now we all anticipate in higher uh, acreages for next year. We're not hopefully have the, another disaster like right. this year was on plantings. We had a great year on yields in some cases, uh, despite the late plantings. But it's a scenario of this thing looking at right now is the if we can knock a few supplies off going into next year and don't go over it board, we can still have some optimism about prices in the 2020-21 year. Let me come back to the World Ag Outlook Board and plugging in assumptions on purchases by the Chinese. That's not the way they operate usually, is it? Based, you know, plugging in estimates based on policy changes? That is not their their, their past history, to say the least. Uh, and that, but I, you would think that there's, by ignoring the biggest trade deal that we've had in eons, let's just say, you and I can't remember something like this just happened here three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and that, there should be some implications to that in your general demand levels. But the problem is we're not finding anything in the short term. So it's this back and forth. Scenario. And, you know, and I know that traders don't like uncertainty or investors don't like incurity. They decide that when there's nothing that they can point to in the short term, they decide to pull out. And that's what's happened to us in the short term. I hope that uh, we do get some uh, some positive things happening in the in the trade on the worldwide basis. We have seen some things pop up in the corn over the last uh, week or 10 days. Jerry, always good to see you. Thank you for being in here. Always good to talk with you, Max. Jerry Goodell, Midland Research.
Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Well, the agricultural markets were no different from the equity markets this week as we came to the close of trading on this Friday. Soybean futures down for their ninth straight day of losses. Concerns about, you guessed it, coronavirus cutting into the Chinese demand for agricultural products and that beat back any attempts at a bargain buying bounce. The losing streak for soybeans marked the longest for the most active soybean futures contract since a 10-day stretch that ended on July 11th of 2014. You remember that, of course, because good weather across the Midwest bolstered crop prospects during the key development period back in 2014. But for today, the screen on my agricultural markets at the Board of Trade, pretty red. March wheat down seven cents. It ended the day in the week at five dollars fifty-three and three quarter cents a bushel. Corn managed to close higher though, with the March contract up two and a half cents at three eighty-one and a quarter. But uh, soybeans down for the day, the March contract down three and a half cents a bushel, ending the day and the week at $8.72 and a half cents a bushel. Tough week for the lean hog futures contract at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange because we saw hog futures again today hitting contract lows their third straight day of declines in the fifth and fifth in the last six sessions. Again, you know what the concerns were. On a continuous basis, the front month hog futures contract hit its lowest since March 6 of 2019. And one analyst said most of the focus, I think, remains on an unknown impact of China's expanding coronavirus issues. So as we look at closing prices, as I said, the closing market for lean hogs hitting new contract lows again. And we saw a couple of days of down limit moves in livestock lean hog futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The uh, story on uh, the Bayer situation is an interesting one. Bayer shares have taken a hit since three consecutive U.S. juries awarded more than $2 billion in damages to cancer patients, alleging that the company's glyphosate-based weed killer Roundup caused the cancer to happen. Bayer, which acquired Roundup maker Monsanto for $63 billion in 2018, denies the allegation, saying decades of studies and regulatory approvals have shown that glyphosate and Roundup are safe for human use. But as we know, the thousands of lawsuits that have been filed 
have seen juries make some huge awards based on what they have heard from attorneys. And of course, I think for the last six months, we've seen the ads on television from law firms saying, if you use Roundup, get in touch with us and we'll file a lawsuit that could bring you a lot of money. But then we got the report from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency releasing its interim discussion or decision updating current phosphate regulations. And after a thorough review of the best available science as required under the federal law, the EPA concluded there are no concerns for human health when glyphosate is used according to the label and that the product is not a carcinogen. The president of the Crop Life America, Chris Novak, said these studies have consistently upheld the safety of glyphosate. And the decision confirms previous reviews released last year by the EPA and Health Canada, which reaffirmed that glyphosate poses no risk to public health and is not likely to be carcinogenic. So anyway, I'm not sure what that EPA announcement will do to the lawsuits that are currently pending, but it's going to be an interesting situation to continue watching. One other note, not very positive, farm bankruptcy rates jumped 20% in 2019 to an eight-year high. According to data released by the United States Courts, family farmers filed 595 Chapter 12 bankruptcies in 2018, that's uh, or 19 that's up from 498 filings in 2018 well once again we're out of time thank you for joining us we'll look for you next week on the markets